London Stock Exchange Group is here to be your essential global markets infrastructure and data partner, where open isn't just a platform, but a philosophy, giving you the freedom to make your mark in the world. LSEG, open makes more possible. Episode 21, coming to you live from the Ryan Flynn Studios here in beautiful Southern California. And uh, DB, you're, you're back from some additional travel, as if quarantine in Edmonton wasn't enough. Now you're fresh back from Texas. How was it there uh, in the big state? Jay, it was amazing. Look, it was an epic Game 7. You look at the Mookie catch against the fence, robbing Freddie Freeman of a home run. The double play turned by JT, who's my favorite Dodger. Um, mm-hmm. The home runs by Kike and, and Bellinger just worth the time and effort to get out there. Uh, but there was some considerable time and effort. <laughs> it was a last minute this family decision to go out there. Well, I mean, that's fantastic. And as you pointed out on Twitter, you might be one of the only people that took in postseason baseball uh, yeah. on top of being at the Stanley Cup playoffs this year. So uh, if if you're not the only one, handful, literally, uh, you can probably count the number of people on one hand and have fingers left over. But uh, look, there was a lot of interest in this Dodger series. This is obviously a hockey podcast, but there was a lot of interest in the Dodger series. I tweeted out, uh, if you look at the ratings on television, that was the most watched non-NFL game uh, so far this year during quarantine. So a lot of people tuned in to watch the Dodgers and the Braves in really an epic game seven. I don't think you could ask for more DB. Yeah. And the way we decided as a family to go out there is that I have a son-in-law, a stepson-in-law and a daughter-in-law in Dallas. Um, so they went online after game six uh, and you can only buy groupings of four tickets. So uh, they bought four tickets um, and this is just, well, you had to go. Yeah. Had to, but this is 1130 at night on Saturday <laughs> night. Right? That's so, why you, when you texted him and you're like, I'm calling an audible. I was like, what is he talking about at this time of night? Where are you going with this? Yeah. And so I was going to fly American and the American website was down. So I remember I had a credit because of all the, the canceled flights on Delta. So we booked a nonstop flight to Delta, got there, had amazing seats in the eighth row. Um, we had a great fan next to us, John. You love this. The, the guy was dressed in a basically a cowboy suit with all stars all over it. He was an Atlanta Braves fan and a Dallas Cowboys fan. So he had a really bad 24 hours. Uh, <laughs> he did. He had an epically bad 24 hours. But look, I think it was a 25% attendance, and it was about a 40,000. First of all, Globe Life, John, 
You love parks. You got to go to this park. Yeah, I wanted, I wanted to ask you about this because I went to the old ballpark there in Arlington, which was one of the first stadiums that had the the seats tilted at about a 20 degree right. angle towards home plate. So I was really curious. Just uh, the old ballpark was nice. How is this place? Yeah, the same thing. My seats were on an angle as well. It, it's beautiful. Uh, state of the art. Now, it's weird, John. You know, we could talk about how this relates to next season in the NHL. So, you know, going into the stadium, like – no questionnaire about if I had symptoms, no temperature check. Basically, if you had a mask on, you could go in at 25%. So I think there was about ten or 11,000 people in the park. Um, a lot of L.A. representing. A lot of, you know, John, on the flight out, there were probably nine or ten people on the flight that did like us, dropped on a flight and wanted to see Game 7. So it was very curious. So it's, I think in Texas, they kind of treat you like adults. If you're not sick and you wear a mask, uh, you should go to the game. So I, I hopefully that augurs well for us as we get to close to the hockey season. But uh, uh, I'm glad I went. Um, the flights weren't that cheap and the, the tickets weren't that cheap, but it was uh, an amazing – all that aside, John, it was a fantastic game seven. And you and I have been on the same page. When baseball restarted, we weren't really that interested. But when you got to the uh, game seven on, on, on Sunday, that was just fantastic. I'm glad I, I attended the game. Yes, I have taken my licks on Twitter over the last week or so as people have found out that I backed off of my previous stance and uh, people were tweeting me, I thought you weren't watching baseball. But uh, hey, look, man, the Dodgers, you know, they're in they're in the thick of things. Uh, great series against Atlanta, really an epic series. And to be able to come back like that. And then, of course, game seven, uh, as we talked about, a lot of interest, not just here in Los Angeles, but across the country. For those that are still hanging in there and still hanging with us and didn't tune out because we wanted to talk baseball for a few minutes, DB, we have a great episode lined up for today. Kevin Westgarth, who, by the way, belongs in the L.A. Kings Hair Hall of Fame. Just great hair. I love the post-game clap that he used to, or post-fight clap that he used to do. I would tweet about that all the time. Just Westy was always in a great mood. Look forward to talking to him, chatting with him, and catching up with him. He works now at the uh, at the NHL head office, and so we'll have to ask him a bunch of questions about that. Uh, I do have some some breaking Kings news that I'll share in the third period, uh, but we need to play a little bit of numerology and maybe just uh, tee up the Westgarth interview here, TB. Let's do it, Jay. So on the numerology front, first of all, uh, apologies to everybody. I owe some people some uh, some numerology from the last episode where we were speaking with Blake Lazat. I did not do uh, numerology, but quite honestly, there really wasn't a lot there. Uh, you have you have three people, Blake Lazat being the third of the three people that have worn the, uh, the number 46 in Los Angeles. And we'll have to see if he's going to... Um, uh, if he's going to keep that number moving forward. Now... Um, there were the other two previous people. You had Matthew Schwinnard uh, in 2004. Uh, he played all of one game for Los Angeles. And then Daniel Taylor, who was a goaltender. And DB, this is another one-hit wonder. A few uh, episodes back, we talked about somebody else who played one period at the Garden. This is a different guy, uh, a, another one-period wonder. It might have been a Calgary game. Uh, like five, five or six years after the original one that we talked about a few games ago or a few episodes ago, but Daniel Taylor. Um, so, so you had somebody who wore it for one game, somebody who wore it for one period as a goalie, and now Blake Lazat, who has worn number forty-six. I guess we could say for one season in LA. Right. We'll have to see one, if he one, can. One. Uh, Guys, we'll see. And now if he changes his number, that would be rather funny. We didn't ask him about that, which is uh shame on me. Cause that's something that I normally like to ask, ask uh, about would be the numbers, but there was just so much to cover with Blake Lazat, by the way, fantastic interview with Blake Lazat. Just uh, okay, even, man. even oh, now a, a few days removed from that, just in, it really enjoyed that interview DB. Yeah. Uh, Jay, do you know what um, number he wore in college? 
I want to say 26. I'd ha that's okay. just what rings in my head. I'd have but to go back 46. and take a look at it. But yeah, I think 26, uh, which is, of course, in Los Angeles right now, being worn by Sean Walker, I believe. Mm, yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, Walker's probably not married to the number. And I'd have to go back and see what he wore at Bowling Green. We might have one of those, you know, training camps where it's it's musical numbers. Um, we'll have to take a look. So, so Westy's coming on the program today, DB. A uh, little numerology there. He wore two numbers while in Los Angeles. People might forget that he actually wore 33 when he first broke into the National Hockey League, coming, of course, out of Manchester. I uh, played for a while with the Monarchs. We'll get into that during this interview, I'm sure. 33 is a really an interesting number and, and, and has a lot of great players, uh, well-known. And, and, and remembered players that have worn number 33 in L.A. Bob Kodelsky was the first one uh, back in 1988. He's uh, a, a former king and a former duck, if I remember correctly. Uh, Chris Contos wore the number for a brief period of time. Of course, perhaps the most famous of all would be Marty McSorley, who wore the number in L.A. Uh, then you had Jan Volpat, who was the brother of Roman Volpat. Of course, we had Roman uh, on the program, I want to say back around Christmas time. Roman yeah. Volpat was uh, part of the uh, big trade that brought or that sent Wayne Gretzky to St. Louis. The Kings received five assets in return. And soon thereafter, they picked up Jan Vopat, who later ended up being a scout. Um, so you had Jan Vopat, who was a defenseman who wore that number. Modri wore the number. Uh, Ziggy Palfi, the more famous, uh, I would say, of, of recent times that wore that number. You did have Jack Johnson, uh, who wore that number briefly. Uh uh, Fuka Fuji, the goaltender. Oh, yeah. I always remember being <laughs> oh, in yes. Bakersfield uh, for a game, uh, ECHL game DB, and there was a, a Fuka Fuji uh, 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 jersey being worn by a fan in the crowd, uh, which was great. Westy wore the number when he broke into the NHL. Then Freddie Modine, one of Dean's Dean, Dean Lombardi specials, right? Just trying to add some depth for a playoff push. Uh, Freddie Modine, who I think came over from Tampa, he wore the number. And then you had Willie Mitchell. Probably the, the, the most recent uh, person uh, that has worn the number that everybody uh, loves and adores. Everybody loves Willie Mitchell. Uh, we'll have to get him on the program at some point. I don't know if we can find him, though. He, he's probably out fishing somewhere. And then, D DB, do you happen to know who the last person, the most recent person to wear 33 was? No, I don't. Tobias Bjornfoot wore number 33. Oh, he, last season. When, oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh We'll have to see if he keeps that number. Um, he, he is, of course, expected to split time uh, with Kale Clegg as being one of the seven defensemen. Rotate those two guys in and out. We can save that for a different conversation. Now, number 19, which is really the number that Westy wore for more of his career, is a rather interesting number. And I believe that we've talked about this um, on a different episode. I don't remember who it would be. I'd have to take a look at the list. But for some reason, I have 19 in my head. It was probably for Jim Fox. So Brian Kilray wore the number. And Killer... I always love to give this stat because it's so unbelievable. Legendary career, Hall of Fame guy. Um, he's history, but that's not the, the, the real key to the story here. He was a coach in the Ontario Hockey League, and he coached not only uh, Jim Fox uh, with the Ottawa 67s, but later he coached Tyler Toffoli. Now, that is a hell of a career, DB, when you can go that's that long in between span, uh, players. Let's go. Holy yeah, cow. That's ridiculous, right? That's uh, totally. that's legendary. So, yes, you have him. Uh, I won't go through the full list because we did do it once before, but you had Butch Goring, you had Jim Fox, Larry Robinson, Jim Thompson, uh, Johnny Drew swore it, Jeff Chevalier. Oh, that's a, that's a mayor guy right there, Jeff Chevalier. I uh, love those those one-hit wonders. Uh, Russ Courtnall wore the number. Uh, we won't get into the Courtnalls and talk about Sean O'Donnell on this episode. We can save that. Uh, Nelson. 
Allison Emerson, Sean Avery, Kyle Calder, uh, who I believe went to the All-Star game one time, if I remember correctly. Uh, Might have been with another team, though. I don't remember. But uh, Kevin Westgarth wore the number. And then, of course, more recently, uh, Jordan Wheel wore the number. And now, who wears the number, DB? You're going to get this one right. Uh, (laughs) You're killing me. (laughs) 19 on the Los Angeles Kings. I follow. Yes, there you go. Alex, I follow who I hear uh, is a big fan of Kings of the podcast. I don't know. It's just a rumor, but uh, we'll, we'll let me dig into that. Let me get to the Please bottom do. of that. Yeah, get, get uh, the just, any, thank you. Any, any memories of Kevin Westgarth or thoughts just before we tee up the interview and bring him in? No, you mentioned the clapping. That's what I remember. Um, and I said, okay, it's a better guy than Sean Avery wearing 19. That's good. This is the last minute of play <laughs> in the period. That's true as well. Uh, and, of course, he won a cup with the Los Angeles Kings. Uh, not Avery. <laughs> Let's be clear. Uh, Kevin <laughs> Westgarth. Uh, very short for, short period of time, but very memorable with the L.A. Kings. Uh, and he won a Stanley Cup with Los Angeles in 2012 and uh, was, was part of that. And, and I'm sure that we'll talk a little bit about his Stanley Cup stories as well. Absolutely. Let's do it, Jay. Used to spend my nights out. But you rescued me from reaching for the bottom. Here we go. Second period, Kings of the Podcast. And we are joined by a former member of the Los Angeles Kings, but far more important these days. He's now with the NHL front office. And check out this official job title. He is the VP of Hockey Development and Strategic Collaboration, which, of course, I think is a job title uh, very befitting of an Ivy League guy. We're talking about Kevin Westgarth. Westy, how about that job title just to start with? <laughs> That's right. I'm trying to be healthier, so that word salad really, uh, really fits in. Um, but no, it is. Uh, it's about as descriptive um, as it can be for uh, what I work on, which is often kind of working more with with our developmental leagues, uh, minor pros, uh, which I definitely had some experience in through college and junior. So it's uh, it's been a fantastic opportunity to kind of continue to you know work with people in hockey and find ways to give back to the players today and get back to the game overall so it's it's hopefully get more people uh, exposure and access to our sport uh, it's it's uh yeah kind of been a, a great uh, great gig to be uh, to be working on coming out of uh, a hockey career well you know you and i go back uh probably about 10 years and i'm sure i mean there's yeah. many highlights it's you know princeton and and then working for the league office and the stanley cup but i mean let's be honest you, thinking back 10 years ago your dream would have been that you and I would still be connecting 10 years later, I'm sure. Absolutely. If I, if, if I knew that podcasts were going to be a thing or were a thing, I assume that that's, uh, that's dream number one. Uh, <laughs> coming coming out and playing for the Manchester Monarchs in 07, that was, uh, that was pretty much it. We're going to get to Manch, don't worry. Uh, let, let's do a little <laughs> tour of your life, because I had to go back. I mean, I, I just had to dig into the Mayor's Manor archives and look at so many of the <laughs> previous conversations that we had so long ago, uh, and I thought this would be a good opportunity for you to maybe share some of your, your insight and your funny stories, uh, or, or just more about you. Uh, Cam Neely was your favorite player growing up, if I, if I have it right. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, he was, he was, uh, I mean, he drew me to be a Bruins fan, even though I grew up uh, near Windsor, Ontario, across from Detroit. Inevitably, I'd say it's like my parents were Red Wings fans and my brother was a Maple Leafs fan. So couldn't be either one of those things. Um, 
and so yeah gravitated towards cam obviously the way he played just a just an animal and you know i got one of his one piece of his skill set uh would have been nice to have a couple others but uh see the workout all right yeah d- come on don't be greedy you got one that's enough okay just, <laughs> exactly. just relax uh, oh i'm thrilled I'm well thrilled. You, you mentioned family there. I was going to talk more about your family later. We can talk about it now. Uh, you did play at Princeton with your brother, uh, but but your home life, right? Uh, you're married. You have a couple young boys at home. What's what's that like right now in this crazy world, uh, having some kids at home and, and trying to trying to find a way to get through the year 2020? Yeah, it's, it, I, I think everybody's confronting different uh, chal- like challenges, but, you know, we also trying to appreciate the you know the good things like you know as as you said everybody's been at home for the last seven months for the most part um and it i do try to appreciate you know the time i get to spend like instead of you know having to take subway into the office in new york and kind of getting home just in time for dinner most nights and being able to hang out with them for a little bit after it's you know they're they're a you know a room or a a, a quick hauler away and you know that has been pretty phenomenal to be able to experience them over this time not to say it doesn't come with its uh its pitfalls of having yeah two boys that one's four and a half now and the other's just about three so they're uh, uh very much like their mom and dad and very competitive and probably a little more physical than other player or players. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. It never, it never leaves you. It never leaves. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a little more physical than other, than other children. So, you know, we, we were lucky to only have one emergency room visit over the last uh, seven months. And luckily it was kind of after um, some of the big spikes and COVID cases. And it was a pretty empty to get some stitches, but, uh, everybody's happy and healthy and um i mean it's been interesting and i'm sure you've had conversations like different um you know I, i'm fortunate enough to interact with kind of people different like younger guys who are single and you know that has its own challenges and then kind of old folks that have gr- more grown children whether in middle school or high school I'm like man that that would be a tough time uh for those kids guys and people going into college and like it really is just, uh, just kind of these different pros and cons for whatever stage of life you're at. But um, it's yeah, been certainly matting. We're fortunate enough. My wife is a full time mom for now. She always wanted to take the early years with our kids, and someday I know she's gonna come back to uh, work. And she formerly was in education, and she's gonna you know blow anything I do out of the water. But for now, uh, we're certainly fortunate to be able to do that and it's been uh yeah a, a, a fraught and, and you know strange seven months but also trying to appreciate the positives of the time we've gotten to spend together yeah that's certainly the way you have to look at 2020 is to try to find the positives in it no doubt about that happy to hear the ki- the kids are healthy uh they're surviving mm-hmm. your wife is a <laughs> saint of course not only for putting up with you oh absolutely <laughs> exactly but she, but she also had a pretty famous father growing up uh in bill cower which sort of I think Kings fans came to find out and appreciate uh, during the 2012 cup run. I remember coming out of the locker room and there's Bill Cower standing there with a big smile to congratulate you. But the funnier part to me uh, is that you met him after a big Steelers win. So, I mean, it has to be stressful to, to meet your, your, your girlfriend at the time to meet 
you know, the parents to meet the father. And then yeah. the father is Bill Cower. You, I think you were pretty lucky that you met him after a big win. Oh, I, 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 I don't doubt it whatsoever. Yeah. It was pretty awesome. Uh, like my wife, I mean, mentioning she's a saint. She also is a far better athlete than I was, or I am. Well, definitely am now, but, um, <laughs> she played she, volleyball uh, or basketball. She, she was a basketball player and four time all Ivy, um, at Princeton where we met. And, um, yeah, was, I mean, I dare say the best player, uh, in history, wow. at least at that time, I dare say the program, or I think the programs churned out some, some stars actually given some Princeton Tigers, uh, basketball team, the women some love because, uh, actually they had a player, Bella Allery, who was probably my son's favorite basketball player who was drafted. I believe it was fifth overall to the WNBA this year. So wow. definitely made some strides. And in any case, um, pretty awesome to, uh, kind of, yeah, bring the kids down and show, you know, the hockey game. The one day actually right before, um, the pandemic, Struck. Uh, we got to go see a uh, kind of late afternoon basketball game and then hit the hockey game uh, with the two boys. So that was pretty special uh, to be able to kind of share both sides of our, yeah. our, uh, our, fa- our, you know, little family. It's a nice yeah, double header right there. Yeah, exactly. It was, I'm glad they set it up for us that way. I'm not <laughs> I'm sure, sure how many, I'm not sure how many people or other people are confronted with that choice, but um, it was nice. We could do both that day. And, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, as today, uh, my father-in-law, like Bill, could not be a like, kind of better, uh, just everything. Father-in-law, friend, and kind of uh, resource for bouncing ideas, talking about things. He's very supportive of our family, and um, it's it's uh, yeah, I feel pretty fortunate that <laughs> to have. Um, just one of the best minds in football has ever had, but also probably one of the best people, like people, persons who uh, has ever been around. I really do think that was his big strength. And yeah, you're probably right. If uh, if uh, the Cleveland Browns had pulled out that game in 2005, <laughs> uh, might not have gone so well. Uh, but uh, luckily for me, uh, both are my wife and I were home for a brief Christmas break they were playing in Cleveland which is a you know three hour drive away from where I grew up so I got to go down and luckily enough for me the Steelers crushed them 41 to nothing <laughs> yeah you were very and, lucky uh, so so he was in a pretty good mood coming out of the locker room to meet this young punk who's uh dating his daughter and um fortunately from there on we we've gotten along uh splendidly so there you go maybe first impressions even with the uh the outside influence are are as important as we we talk about and and how was the how was the flow do you have a strong mullet game at that point or or what was the well how was the you lettuce? know i think that was uh early in uh my former coach guy Gadowski, who is now at penn state and been there for a while um he uh he came in hot as uh, and that was my Actually, I guess that would have been my junior year, but that was his second year as a coach. And uh, he uh, he was trying to keep us be upstanding young uh, Ivy Leaguers, young, <laughs> young Ivy Leaguers, and didn't like the long hair. So I think I was pretty pretty well trimmed at that point. But uh, 
Yeah, I, I, I've seen some pictures of Bill from back in the day. Like he wasn't, he certainly wasn't a choir boy himself. So I don't think, I don't think he worried too much about the long hair after, uh, after exiting from college hockey. All right. And it got a little longer and a little more grizzly. So it did. You, you know, I would say if there was a hair hall of fame for the LA Kings, you would have to be in it, Westy. You had some nice. solid, solid hair back in the day. I'll take it. Well, I will. I should. I, I should post a picture on the Tasha's podcast. And uh, yeah, I haven't gotten my haircut since. Uh, I think I got it cut about a week before we hosted this uh, kind of summit in Florida after the GM's meeting. So the first week of March, um, and I think I got essentially got my hair cut the week before for that, and haven't got it cut since. And it was uh, looking pretty good. Feels good. Feels good to be <laughs> back to game game ready length. Good. So text me a photo and I will tweet that out to hype the show. I'll say, does anybody recognize who this guy is? He's going to be on the, he's going to be on the program. Uh, there you, go. you played with your brother, just sticking on the family theme, your brother yeah. for a couple of years there at Princeton. And I would imagine that that has to be really one of the highlights of your career to, to be able to spend some time with your brother. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. And, and uh, we, I think we both kind of uh, laughed around. Like, honestly, I was essentially riding his coattails for, I mean, for years kind of going to he was two years older um like was was definitely more consistent if not always better hockey player than I was and I kind of had like highs and lows where I'd get really good and then not be good and then get really good basically that happened um fortunate for me like I was I had gotten cut from my triple a teams and um basically was back in Amherstburg uh travel hockey you know B center or something and um, playing high school hockey in Southwestern Ontario, which props to the guys that are there now, but uh, not, not the highest level of hockey. Um, And very quickly kind of had like a good year, probably helped that I grew like five or six inches, but um, that always always helps. It tends to, yeah, it (laughs) tended to, especially when I was uh, yeah willing to drop the gloves as, as, uh, perhaps you found out, um, but it was uh, pretty amazing because, like, basically a couple teams like had reached out in, in junior, um, junior C, and then junior B, and it was almost like this this um, you know snowball effect. And my brother had played for the Chatham Junior Maroons the year before, and then those coaches uh, came to look at me and asked me to come on board. Dave Torrey, who. Mm-hmm is a scout with the LA Kings now. So it is amazing how small the world it is. And, and uh, he was the guy that gave me a chance kind of at a higher level and got to play in Chatham and had a couple of great years there. And um, yeah, he, my brother had gotten looked at by Princeton. They came back to see him the next year, saw me and basically within, you know, 10 games playing in Chatham was, you know, getting asked to apply, you know, a little different than, wasn't just given a spot, but asked to apply uh, to the school and play for the hockey team um, after a year or after deferring a year. And it's, uh, yeah, pretty amazing to go back to those times where, you know, six months or maybe eight months before I was basically just playing hockey to play hockey and, um, but kept working at it. And, you know, I love, I, you know, kind of keeping me outside of it like it is I, I do love telling the story because it's uh, uh i think is helpful for parents and kids and you know families overall just to understand that yeah these are straight lines of 
you know, you're the best six-year-old and then all of a sudden you're in the NHL. There's a lot of ebbs and flows in between those years. And um, I would like to just kind of pull the reins on the drive for kids to be elite at an early age. And one of the things that I'm working on, hopefully reimagining some of the youth hockey and uh, culture and, you know, just making it a little more sane place to give more, um, keep more kids involved and keep more kids active in it. So, um, it's, it's, uh, something I'm really proud of. And actually, um, ironically, given that, uh, my favorite player was Cam Neely, another guy that kind of definitely was like highly touted, but like at 18 and like when he was 16, he wasn't kind of play in many places and our own Luke Robitaille is another guy and once again I'm only keeping them in my in my even realm not that I'm anywhere near those two guys it's pretty awesome to see that like those guys you know had some great careers when they got older but even when they were kind of 13 14 15 weren't talked about all that much and I think that's an important uh, story to tell. Yeah, when you talk to scouts as well, you you hear about, hey, I like guys that are two sport athletes, you know, because they need, they like to see that they're competitive and that they're driven and they're dedicated and all those things, but they need that mental break away from the game. You can't, I mean, it's, I'm all for putting in practice. I mean, there, you know, there's endless stories. We had Blake Lazat on a couple of days ago, uh, similar to you, is, uh, you know, signed as an unrestricted free agent out of college. We'll get to that. But uh, he talked about, Mm -hmm. you know, 1130 at night and going to the rink and shooting pucks and, and all of that's great, but you do need, to get that mental break uh, away from it. And, and these younger players now, and they all have these individual skill coaches, their skating coach, their shooting coach, yeah. they're this coach, they're that coach. And, and yet you hear so many guys talk about, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day where you're drafted. It's a great moment, but yeah. the real yeah. work begins the day after the draft. And you know, <laughs> yeah. the draft, draft history is littered with guys that were taken in the first round, second round, all the way through that never played a game. And, you know, conversely, we love these great success stories. Guys like you as well were undrafted. Um, let's touch on that for just a moment there. So when yeah. you when you were signed coming out of Princeton, you signed a two-year deal, but uh, I believe you signed a PTO or an ATO to finish out the year uh, in Manchester so that your your real gig didn't kick in until the following year. But let's, let's not just sleep on... <laughs> Your last weekend uh, there at Princeton, you were named the uh, the Ivy League's Player of the Week. I think you were also named the Conference Player of the Week following a seven-point performance the final weekend. So so you went out with a bang. You were like, hey, Princeton, I'm out of here, but watch this, and you put up seven points. Yeah, that was uh, my, my, my dad, uh, I guess, is always very complimentary in that um, – he he was you know phenomenal hockey dad and hockey. My mom was an incredible hockey mom, and like my dad was in was a veterinarian in horse racing, and there are actually some like overlaps, perhaps significantly so between like horse horsemen and horse people and and hockey people. Obviously, great example is Eddie Olchuk, but even for harness racing in our in our uh, uh, in Ontario, it was a ton of guys that were involved and. Like he was able to kind of get in touch and like help me out when, you know, if he knew somebody was going to be at the game, like, ah, like my son's here, like nothing crazy, but like basically if he helped me get maybe looked at or get an opportunity, um, it was, he, he kind of knew or like thought that I would, you know, come up, come up big essentially. And that definitely happened a few times. And I think thankfully, um, yeah, there was an LA King Scout there that weekend, or I think it was our last um, regular season weekend. 
uh, playing against uh, Clarkson, St. Lawrence, who that who were you know going going crazy at the time. I think they were ranked eighth and twelfth or fourteenth in the league or in the in, in college hockey. Um, and yeah, we won both games, and yeah, I was able to contribute, and it was uh, it was a pretty great feeling. And um, you know, once again, those those moments are kind of shorter windows of time that probably define a lot more than we realized uh, at the time for sure. Um, you know, if without that, you know, my stat line wouldn't have looked as good. I don't know if the Kings would like me as much, but it, it, it all worked out wonderfully and uh, glad, glad it happened. Great teammates to play with to help me get there. <laughs> a little bit of a transitional period for the organization as well, because I think yeah. that all of that was happening right as Lombardi was coming onto the scene. So in talking yep. with guys like Dean and Hextall and Yanetti and OC and all those guys, they, mm-hmm. they said that you made a big impression uh, and they were happy to have you just from, from, you know, sort of meeting number one. But the reality is that it was the previous regime, the end of the previous regime, if I remember correctly, that uh, was responsible for signing you, right? I believe so. I remember it was like, if it, this is inevitably the irony and like what I now appreciate, obviously being in the, you know, the NHL office, it's like, I look back at kind of how little I knew about kind of anything where like Dave Taylor was down skating with us a couple of times. Um, like when I, after the hockey season in, at Princeton, I went to Manchester, as you mentioned, and finished out the year. And like Dave came down and skated with us. And I honestly didn't know at the time and couldn't tell you today if he was still the GM or if he had actually been uh, replaced by Dino at that point. And, and that's the terrible thing is I'm not exactly sure. I know Solly was there, so I guess that would have been (laughs) Dean's guy. Yes. So yeah, that's unfortunately like, you know, hockey players We're we're worrying about hockey. It's like, it's been nice to expand uh, my knowledge and uh, understanding of how things work a little more since then. Um, Going through all the, the ups and downs of a career and player association involvement and and after. So it's, uh, yeah, kind of funny to get asked that question. Realize I don't know, actually. <laughs> okay. A couple of quickies on Manchester. Uh, one is we often refer to it, of course, as Manch Vegas. And there, there is actually a bar, believe it or not, in the, in Manchester uh, called Manch Vegas, a little club around the corner from the rink. Did you ever happen to stop yeah. in, maybe have a post-game pop or two at Manch Vegas? I believe it was WB's at the point, at, uh, the point you may be okay. referring to. <laughs> okay. Yeah. From what I understand, like talking to, like, Again, talking to other LA King Princeton enforcers, I was always riding somebody's coattails. My brothers for a while, and then I guess the hookup and start to follow George Peros's footsteps. Um, so George was in match for a few, obviously a few years before I was, and he, um, I think it was called something else before, and then it was I believe Wally and Bernie's or WB's when I and our teammates. That was never tended to be my scene i generally liked more the uh brass taps and oak um style so but you know we'd make our way there and you know i'd enjoy a a refreshing beverage and and go home early so okay sure it was always always fun (laughs) you you lived with jonathan quick oh yeah i mean come on now you lived with you lived with quickie what's that like i mean the guy never talks in the locker room, at least not to the media, right? So he's just, he's so intense, yeah. Mr. Mr. Park and Ride, you know, just, what's it like? You're sitting there, you're watching TV, or you're making eggs with Quickie. 
Yeah, it was, uh, Quickie was awesome. And like, that was, uh, and actually we also live with Bud Holloway. So Bud <laughs> probably, Bud. well, Dean, Dean's punching bag. <laughs> <laughs> I know he's, he's such a beauty. Like he, he said my wedding, um, a few years ago and like, just, just one of the best guys. So I dare say, regardless of whether Quickie was, uh, you know, moving conversation along, I think between Bud and I, we had enough, uh, uh enough banter going to fill fill the void um but now quickie i mean he's um yeah he's he's a close friend and like it's it's crazy to think back like now thinking back eight years later like the night that um somehow it was about three or four days after we had won the cup and I think half the team hadn't gone to bed yet <laughs> Confirmed. and I think we were coming home from like maybe Jimmy, I think we went to Jimmy Kimmel and then went to throw out a pitch at the Dodger game. Things once again, that are just like, <laughs> I'm not really sure they happen <laughs> um, because they're just so like dreamlike and magical. Um, but obviously in the cup celebrations, yeah, like I think everybody was exhausted. I think I have actually a picture of Dewey like passed out basically on the bus. Like not that we were drinking, it was just like <laughs> no, he just ran out of gas. Yes. Well, we might have, might have been having a pop or two by that time. But um, and like it was like, all right, what do we want to do with it? And everybody's like, I need a, need a break, <laughs> which is amazing that it happens because as a kid, you never imagined ever wanting to let the cup out of your sight if sure. you ever won it. But hey, after a good 96 hours of uh, good times, uh, even the strongest of us might need a nap. Um, but ended up bringing it back to like my house in, in uh, Hermosa Beach. And like there was probably like our first kind of, you know, quiet moment after the craziness of, um, you know, the previous few days. And there was, you know, five or six other guys there with, um, a couple of men there, wives or girlfriends, and like it was just everything slowed down. And then we ordered pizza inevitably. So like at one point, I had like this little roof deck or roof uh, um, outdoor area, whatever. And like it eventually, this was like Quickie and I sitting up there, like a box of Domino's in the Stanley Cup, sitting next to us, just like looking at each other. Like what just <laughs> happened? It's like we, you know, lived. We had lived together, whatever it was, like three or four years before in Manchester in this um, lovely house out in Hooked It. It's not and the it's same. Like, not the same. Hooked, hooked It, relative to South Bay, California. It's like sitting with the Stanley Cup, and it was just like, oh my god! Like we, this, this happens, and like obviously, Quickie was ninety percent of the reason that it happened. <laughs> I better not say 90 a whole lot of the reason it happened and it was just incredible to have that moment and yeah something I'll never forget yeah so many great moments uh we could talk more about your time in LA a little bit but let's let's transition into after your playing days uh you end up at the league office doing what you're doing now and I'm just curious I would have to think that what you did as kind of the player rep in 2012 uh after or during the lockout excuse me how you were the you know involved in some of the negotiations and whatnot um and then later continued on to be a player rep uh at, at a few of your other stops I would imagine mm-hmm. that that sort of set you up sort of the business side of things or or maybe even when you became interested I, I'm guessing uh in, in that side of life yeah I think 
a couple things at hand here. Like, A, it was definitely an important time. I thought I could kind of add value to the process. Um, B is just learning. I mean, I've always, well, I guess A, I kind of always, like I wasn't, I wasn't going to be Cam Neely and have a long and extremely uh, uh, financially rewarding career. It was great. But, uh, yeah, clearly there was going to be a chapter two for, for my story around needing to have a, a, have a job that I could um, make an impact with and be passionate about. So it was very much about, like, learning more intricacies of the business and, and what it actually does take. Once again, kind of talking about, like, often when you're playing, it's like you're so focused on just those those elements. But I always not always for sure, but definitely wanted to learn more and kind of be a part of uh, that process for the collective bargaining. And, um, you know, it was uh, kind of crazy. Like, I, I uh, think it's one of the most important things I learned. It's like, if you just keep showing up, um, good things tend to happen. And like, if you show up with, you know, good attitude and respect and you have a modicum of ability to absorb and um, kind of convert information, uh, things are going to work out pretty well. Like I, I almost look back at my hockey career and it's like, oh, basically was that what, what I did there. They just kept showing up. So as collective bargaining was starting, there was no formal kind of negotiating committee, but really because there was five or six of us that kind of came all the time. Um, yeah, we just kind of got looked at as guys that obviously understood and knew what was going on. Actually, Mr. Peros is one of those, um, other guys and, um, I think we all saw that we could lend a hand and uh, were willing to do it and definitely saw like the opportunities that were there. Just once again, learning was it, but still a huge experience that you can't pay for in business school. Uh, beyond that, I mean, meeting and getting to know all the EA staff and leadership, but then obviously you get to know uh, the leadership and the staff of the NHL and owners and you really just do get to kind of see the other side of, of the game and the business side so it was uh, yeah, an incredibly valuable time incredibly educational time an incredibly frustrating time um, which I'm sure you remember mm-hmm. um, with you know fits and starts and finally getting something together in January um, but yeah I was able to craft some relationships through that and probably the best with my now boss Bill Daly and had kind of stayed in touch over the years. And as my career was coming to an end, as I said, like kind of got to see him. I was still a trustee on the pension. Um, and, and just kind of asked if there'd be something there. Chatted similar conversations with the Players Association. I really just saw this as uh, my best opportunity to kind of like learn more about, again, the business side and kind of the full boat of, uh, you know, the boots on the ground of how, how our league works. So, um, was lucky enough to get the gig I do. And my favorite part was uh, meeting with Gary and Bill and they kind of offered me the job and it was like, all right, yeah, bring you on. You can figure it out. And I'd sketched out, sketched out a few things I want to be involved with, but yeah, it's been, uh, um, great. To, I can't imagine having a more kind of supportive and like essentially flexible boss and Bill, like he's been supportive of like any, little pivot or kind of things that I've seen that I think I could add value on. And like I started out 
Um, big part of my job was working in China and push came to shove over like full time on that or not. I just gotten enough involvement in other things that I was kind of passionate about and saw some opportunity and kind of what I'm working on now. And it's been great to have the support of, uh, you know, leadership to be able to do that. You talked about so many of the feeder uh, systems into the National Hockey League, and I think hockey fans are pretty familiar at this point with the Canadian Junior Leagues, but they still, hockey fans in general, I don't believe, really know enough about how things work on the American scene. And you have U.S. college programs, you have USHL, and then the U.S. National Development Program as well. I'm just curious, I know you've done some work with the USHL, but have you been involved at all with John Van Beesbrook and what he's been up to with the USA Hockey Program? Yeah, so Beezer, uh are in Chattery so often. Um, um, as uh, on a couple of fronts, I mean, uh, obviously that team is part of the USHL, and then you know we we have some uh, an agreement to kind of help support some of their um, programs and different things that the USHL is working on, which USA Hockey is also a partner on. So like we'll chat and bandy about different things and kind of make sure we're all good with what we're working on, and it's mostly kind of player. Uh, either player development or player experience focused, uh, just kind of making the pathway better for these guys that um, theoretically, you know, some number will end up in our league. And for those that don't, hopefully they have a better experience in hockey than they would have otherwise and um, kind of keep everything um, good on and off the ice. So it's been, it's been great. Yeah, it's a great relationship. Well, Westy, we certainly appreciate your time. Uh, thank you so much for joining us here. Let's sit on a couple of Kings things here before we let you run, though. Have to ask you about Clifford and a couple of other things, but how about this? Oh, uh, yeah. Of course. <laughs> uh, now, your last full-time gigs were in Carolina and Calgary. You played over with the Belfast Giants as well, but uh, and there was, a, there was a tryout with Edmonton in there, but we don't have time to get to all that today. You were, you were <laughs> traded. <laughs> yeah, let's just put that to the side. A um, little interesting footnote, though. You were traded on Kyle Clifford's birthday. That's the day that you were actually dealt uh, to Carolina. Uh, so a bittersweet, not only because it was, it was Cliffy's birthday, but bittersweet in the sense that you would just come off the season winning the cup, then the NHLPA thing. And then we're finally back to, you know, getting hockey to return your dealt to Calgary. But I mean, a little bit of a sense of pride. It was a three for one deal. The Kings, uh, the Kings were able to get Anthony Stewart and two draft picks. I mean, three for one Westy. Yeah. Hitting the, hitting the Carolina. It was, uh, I, <laughs> As I mentioned before, it was always great to have my father-in-law as like a resource or sounding board. And like, I think after that, like as as you pointed out, like anytime you get traded, there's it's it's tough because you're and especially from that after winning the cup, but also I mean, being part of the organization for seven seasons, and and obviously knowing played live with so many of those guys, um, shared dominoes with them. <laughs> exactly. Most importantly. Are we allowed to buzz market on this podcast? Sorry, I don't. I didn't want to. You can do whatever. Didn't you, wanna, Wesley, you can do whatever you need to. Other, <laughs> no. Didn't want to mix it up with the other sponsors. I should have asked. No, we're, we're good. Started. We're good. We're, we're we're holding out for a Pizza Hut sponsorship, but uh, yeah, that's probably going to be for the Jeff Solomon episode because he's a big pizza nice. eater. But uh, we'll we'll deal with that later. No, you can do whatever you need to. Go for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's uh, great. Um, and um, but but the the positive side is like if you're getting traded, like that means somebody else, somebody wants you, and like. I, I, you know, obviously would have loved to stay there and, um, it, it, but, you know, looking back, it was clear that kind of the Kings had outgrown, you know, and eventually a couple of years later, the league essentially had outgrown the services I provided. Um, but the Kings were, you know, 
everybody could take care of themselves. It was such a tight team that like, you know, it, it, I understood why, you know, you didn't need to just, I guess I'll at that time kind of try to have a little bit of a shortcut to toughness by adding, you know, a guy, it was really just a, a collective that, that provided a tough game and provided that toughness. And it was uh, bad for me to leave. I obviously would have been like to play really any role in that organization. Um, but certainly was, was excited and I'm still, you know, was happy to go and get another opportunity in Carolina and had, uh, you know, tough season wins loss wise, but like another great group of guys that I think were starting to be on their way. And, um, it was, it was, uh, yeah, it was again, nice to be wanted. It's kind of one of those things that, uh, it's, uh, one of the, the kind of darker sides or however you want to frame it, kind of sadder elements of being in the business of sports, but that happens. You get traded and it, it is, a, you know, that first day it happens, you're kind of like, Oh, all right. It certainly changes your perspective a little bit on things, but you know, be tough to look at even that and uh, really regret any decisions and really regret anything about my career. I'm thrilled that I got to play in a few different cities and, um, Got to play in Canada and Calgary afterwards and, you know, got to meet a bunch of uh, awesome, awesome folks along the way. How about this for an odd stat, though, Westy, in that you never played against the Kings in Los Angeles. You played against them three times yeah. after you were traded, but they were yeah. all, well, like, I, I can't say they were on the road. They were your home barn, but never <laughs> yeah, at exactly. Staples Center. You never had to, you never had to come to the stapler and go to the visiting locker room. I, I know. That was, uh, once again, kind of both a pro and a con. I never had to have that feeling, but I also never got to, um, get to you know feel that maybe homecoming. Although I probably would have been sad if I didn't get a standing off. So maybe it worked out better for everybody. No, 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 no. no. They, had, they had the tribute video already <laughs> already put together. It was on hold. It was waiting for you. Uh, oh, was, there you go. It was going to be yeah, great. Well, actually, I should have to I should reach out and see if I can send that <laughs> get over. A, get a copy of that one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, back to Cliffy. Yeah, you're though. never. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Never, go ahead. Oh, absolutely. I was just going to say, yeah, you're never you're never so great as uh, as when you're gone. So it's, yeah, I'm sure that. I'm sure that would have been uh, far better than the reality, which I, I'm, I'm definitely fine with. Well, one of the things uh, in Cliffy's tribute video would be the fact that he won the bet between the two of you. Yes, who would have the first Gordie Howe hat trick. Uh, just any memories about I know you and I have talked about it privately, but for the listeners, yeah, yeah. What, what, uh, what do you remember about the bet and, and the whole deal that went down? Yeah, I mean, Cliffy, like I, I love, well, love, still love the way that guy plays, obviously. And like, um, you know, we were both, he definitely had a little, uh, probably higher upside on the, uh, on the, the maybe goal scoring and assist front, uh, but maybe I had a little, little insider track on uh, getting the fight. So, yeah, we had a bet for who could have the first Gordie out hat trick as we were both kind of coming on board uh, full time at the same time. Um, and yeah, Cliffy won that bet, scored a goal and assist, got in a tilt. I think actually, uh, lucky for. I forget who he fought, but for that person that it was, uh, I think he actually got the fight first and then actually got the goal and assist later. Cause you know, once you get the goal and assist, it's kind of tough to <laughs> not really press the gas on that third one. Um, but yeah, ended up uh, taking him out. I think it was my, uh, my now wife and I and just Cliffy. And I think that kid housed like a 72 ounce porterhouse from right. Capitol <laughs> grill or one of those. And it was, uh, yeah, it was impressive watching a, 
20 year olds uh, just go to town on a, a lot of protein. I was already getting old by that point. So it was, uh, yeah, it was great. And that guy, you know, I can't wait to see what, uh, where he ends up. And um, I think he's going to be a, a big addition somewhere. I think we've seen the adding the value of just like, you know, veteran presence, veteran leadership who still obviously can play and, and contribute in, you know, ways that uh, I dare say are less valued now, but still demonstrably important. Um, so, yeah, it should be pretty good. Yeah, he's going to be with the Blues this coming season. So that should be oh, uh, that's right. an outstanding that's right. addition. Absolutely. Sorry, I, maybe I was mixing out with Louis. Louis hasn't signed yet, has he? Louis has not signed. No, and it's funny right, enough because <laughs> yes, I was going to ask about him next, but I do want to just remind you of one of your 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 really funny chirps at the time, which was after when you guys were in the process of making that bet, you then said to him, "Hey, how about we, you know, uh, up the ante here and we, you know, we we make it a night out with the ladies. We'll take our our girls and we'll go to you know dinner and a movie or something." And and he said no immediately. He he glared at you and said no. <laughs> and your retort was basically, "Oh, well." That's because he didn't want to pay for everybody. You were, you were already assuming yeah, right. that he that's knew right. he was going to lose the bet, which I thought was fantastic. Uh, right. So so Louis came on the show, and um, he actually told me something I didn't know, which is the fact that I guess your thing was to give him a new nickname constantly, uh, and you did the same thing when you tweeted out. Uh, which thank you for the tweet, by the way. You tweeted yeah, out. You tweeted out uh, his appearance on Kings of the Podcast, and you you called him about three or four different names. Um, just what's the deal with Louis and all the nicknames? I think Louis like. Trevor, like <laughs> Trevor Lewis, like Louis, Louis is so easy. And yeah. like, I, I feel like us hockey folk, it's way too stuck in our, in our knee jerk reaction. Westy, uh, Louis, Cliffy, they're all, uh, relatively, um, you know, low. It's, it's boring. Come on. It's boring. Yeah, there you go. And, uh, you know, I, I do like Sean McKindo's almost <laughs> plea to go back to the days of the exciting and kind of flashy nicknames i'm gonna absolutely like bail on giving uh good examples but man like uh i mean even just going to the the grace of like uh rocket richard and like what a what a great nickname that's not that's not right out of somebody's uh you know laziness or not really coming it's like richie oh, okay richie. <laughs> yeah there you go and then you had the pocket rocket and i'm definitely gonna like i wish I wish I had prepared on this one because I have like nine or ten on the tip of my brain that aren't going to come to me. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's that was always fun, and actually, it's been fun because uh, uh, there was a few of us in Manch that used to call Brian Boyle Big Rig, and then obviously seeing the uh, the I, I guess it never caught on because he was he was uh, traded soon after, um, unfortunately, because he's definitely the Big Rig as opposed to you know. These other, these other imposters and Pat Maroon and <laughs> Jamie Alexiak. So great. Always, always uh, feel a little pride on that one. Uh, one other beauty on the team, though, at the time, Matt Green. Now, from what I understand, you oh, still talk. Matt. You still talk to Greener, and now you you can pick your uh, which one you want to talk about here. That way, we don't keep you forever. But Matt Green in the dugout, refusing to leave, suited oh up, suited up with Mattingly Lee telling him to stay for the whole game, and Greener getting nervous after a couple innings and bailing, or you and Greener at the uh, Sunset Sunset Strip Music Festival. I think it was twenty eleven oh, to see Motley Crue. Yeah. Which which oh, day yeah. would you like to talk about more? Oh boy! Well, definitely. I think you said it all about Greener staying in the dugout and and <laughs> acting like one of the players. He was pretty. He was pretty awesome. Um, but then, 
yeah, the the Sunset Strip Festival was was fantastic, and being out there, uh, yeah, that was quite the day. So we'll go with that one, I guess. Okay. Uh, it was. I mean, it was amazing. Greener Greener is um, just one of the best like locker room guys of all time, and yeah, it's been fantastic kind of stay in touch with him. And you know, he's obviously doing well with the Kings now, and in the scouting department. And I think um, you know it'll really be up to him like where he takes his his career. He's he's just an awesome guy with lots of gifts. So um, yeah, thanks for thanks for throwing out Greener's name. Well, I could throw out a bunch of names, Westy, but I won't keep you any longer. We appreciate it. I was going to have you sing Piano Man. I know your karaoke version is good, but we'll skip that. Uh, fortunately, you and I are not going to get into a fight on the air, so nobody's going to get to see the post-fight clap, which we always appreciated. Uh, uh, right on. But given that you fact that you love to uh, follow in people's footsteps, we all look forward to the Kevin Westgarth podcast that will be debuting uh, in 2021. Yeah, I, I would not uh, put that out of the realm of possibility. No, no current plans, but yeah, inevitably, uh, my biggest problem is uh, having having too many <laughs> too many things I'm interested in. But sure, you make it look too easy. That must be the issue. <laughs> well, Westy, fantastic! Really appreciate you going into overtime with us here today, and uh, best of luck in your career. We look forward to to following and uh, seeing seeing just uh, where this thing takes you. Yeah, I much appreciate. It. I can't we got to OT from the second period. Nailed it. <laughs> Thanks. Kevin Westgard, right. ladies and gentlemen. We'll talk more about it after the break. Welcome back to the third period of Kings of the Podcast with DB and the Mayor. Well, I'm going to need to catch my breath there, DB. That was an extended oh, interview John. with Kevin Westgarth. A lot was packed into that particular interview, uh, but just it was great to catch up with Westy again. And uh, who, you know, like I said, was a fan favorite, even though he was here for a very brief period of time, considered, you know, compared to many others in the organization's 50 plus year history. Uh, just a great guy and, and a pleasure to talk to. And uh, I miss being able to talk to him and, and, and hear his his jokes and his quick wit. Yeah, it's been a long time since he's been affiliated with the, the team now. Now, John, you know, he was one of those guys that they had to get a waiver for to put his name on the cup. Right? I think he played 25 games. Played, he played 25 games, and you can kind of go into the details of him versus Loktyanov. Uh, but they had to get a special waiver because if you only play 25 games and you don't play in the cup final and you still get your name on the cup, you must be a special guy to your organization. But if you want to go into a little bit about, uh, you know, the circumstances with him and Lakhtyanov, I think fans would be interested because probably people don't remember because that was eight years ago. Yeah, sure. So you had, obviously you had the core of the team that all qualified and then Simone Gagne qualified because he, even though you'd been out injured for a while, he got into one game in the Stanley cup final. And so he qualified automatically. So the rule sort of is set up as you either need to play 41 games during the regular season, which is half the season, or you have to play one game during the Stanley cup final, not the playoffs, but the final. And in Lakhtyanov's case, he played two playoff games earlier. He did not play in the final and he played half the season in match. And then he played, uh, I believe about 39 games during the regular season in Los Angeles. So while you're right that Westgarth did play a few, uh, a couple fewer games during the regular season and did not qualify, they went ahead and asked for the waiver, asked for the exception to get Westgarth's name on the cup. And that has always sort of been um, 
it, it, it's kind of riled up the Lochte lovers, as I like to call them. There are some people out there that are big, uh, you know, Lochteana fans, and that's right. great. Guys like uh, Andy Tong, who was a former writer at Mayor's Manor. Uh, but look, here's the deal. In my mind, I'm okay with it because Lochte spent half the year in Manch and half the year in Los Angeles. West Garth spent the entire year with the team and was really part of the fiber of right. the team. He was one of those core guys in the bottom six. He was an important guy in the room. He was an important guy to that team. And if you just go back and read some of those interviews about him understanding what his role was uh, and being willing to do anything to protect the guys and take care of the guys and to bond with the players, uh, he really was a part of that 2012 cup team. So I, I really have no problem with the way it went down DB. Yeah. I got to assume that's a player driven nomination as well i'm sure that whoever takes care of putting the names together the list together probably went back to the leadership in the room and and they came up with uh gagne because he did play the game but i think kevin westgarth because i think you mentioned when you're on the team and you go through that 10 or 12 10 month you know trial through you know to get to where you are to win a cup i'm sure he meant a lot to the guys in the room and subsequently his name's on the cup good for him well, you can even also just point back to some of the things that Westy talked about during the interview. Right. He lived with Jonathan Quick when they were together in Manchester. They spent time with the cup together immediately following their, their cup celebration. Uh, he was very close with, like I said earlier, guys like Kyle Clifford, but also one of the guys who wore a letter on his chest in Matt Green, still one of his friends to this day. And I'm sure at the time, if, if anybody would have asked Matt Green, does Kevin Westgarth deserve to be on the cup? He would have already been answering yes before you had the question out of your mouth. So, so there's, there's uh, his advocates right there. Westy, yeah. I'm sorry, uh, said, DB, what you yeah. said? Now, there's his advocates. You mentioned Quick. You mentioned Green. Those are the locker room yeah. leaders right there. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, look, I, a fantastic interview. We went a little bit long with uh, with West Garth compared to normal, but uh, you know we were lucky to get him now that he's working in, in the main office there for the National Hockey League. He has a lot of responsibilities. His kid's at home as well, like you mentioned. So thank you to Westy for all of his time, for coming on and, and sort of reliving those moments and sharing some of those stories. DB, before we wrap up today, a couple of quick news items as well, and then I want to share some of the polls that we did. We had a request to bring the, the polls back, uh, the Twitter polls, and so we we sent those out and we'll spread these out over the next couple of episodes. Um, however, on the LA Kings news front, I want to share a couple of things, DB. First of all, uh, point number one, uh, from what I understand in terms of talking to some people recently, the Kings will not be announcing an AGM anytime soon. People had, had asked, mm -hmm. uh, is that going to happen? And if so, when? It doesn't seem like that's going to happen. Um, if it did happen, there was a lot of expectation that the AGM uh, was going to be Nelson Emerson anyway. So it really would just be a, a job title change more than an addition to the staff. And it seems that uh, the management structure that is in place right now is going to is going to continue for the foreseeable future. So, you know, I guess you could say that uh, Emerson Emmer uh, <laughs> uh, is the de facto assistant GM, if that's important to you and you need one. But the bottom line is it's Rob Blake. He has his circle of trust, uh, right. you know, that that, that help uh, him support the general manager responsibilities and duties. So there's that uh, second news item for you. Well, we earlier had uh, discussed the fact that uh, there's a new coach in Ontario and uh, Robo, uh, John Robleski. He's going to be the coach of the Ontario reign and that Modry was not returning as the assistant coach. And while this has not been officially confirmed to me yet, uh, it sounds to me like Craig Johnson is going to be the assistant coach uh, under Robo oh, in great. Ontario. And I find that interesting only because um, Craig Johnson was one of the first four names that I had served up as potential mm -hmm. head coaches. Uh, so, so the connection there, the link there, I guess my line of thinking uh, may end up being, you know, true and, and, and correct in the sense that he has been a former coach, albeit at, at a much lower level, but sure. at the high school level. 
people might remember Craig Johnson came on the program uh, and talked with us about it. But uh, CJ has been very instrumental in the on the development side, um, especially getting guys like Gabe Velarde ready and, and things like that. So um, CJ, from everything I, I sort of hearing and connecting the dots, it looks like he's going to be the assistant coach. We'll have to wait for the official word on that. And then this third and final uh, point, DB, on the Kings news items is going to certainly grab the attention of a lot of Kings fans. From what I understand, there will be a fourth jersey next year. I alluded to this, I think, about six months ago. And this jersey, from what I understand, is going to be purple. Now, the reason I say that this is interesting is not only because it's purple and people have been clamoring for purple, but it goes back to when I was trying to break the story of the Stadium Series jersey. I had heard kind of, you know, through the grapevine that the Kings were going to do a purple jersey, and I sort of felt like it was a swerve when they went and did the black and white thing. Ultimately, I ended up breaking the story, so it all all is well that ended well, at least in my mind. Mm-hmm. But I know that a lot of fans want a purple jersey, and from what I understand, it's going to be a purple and gold jersey. It's going to have some sort of a, a retro feel to it. It and um, right now, actually, I have my artist uh, Justin Cox, who has done all of the jersey comps for me through the years uh, and previewed and, and helped break a lot of these stories. He's working on a couple comps right now. We're going to have an article with some samples up on uh, Mayor's Manor very soon. But that's some breaking news for you, DB. I haven't even tweeted that out. I was waiting to to share it on Kings of the Podcast. Well, so samples, your understanding of what it will look like, or just um, speculation. Uh, I would say a mixture of both. Um, I, uh, you know, look, I have not been able to get it, uh, confirmation of what the Jersey is going to look okay, like. It's okay. getting harder and harder DB. I say this all the time. Um, I, you know, I don't know if the Kings are just tired they of me. Know, breaking they're tired of, exactly. John, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to be polite. What else could um, it be? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, so on Mayor's Manor, for those that are new to the to the to the uh, program here, we broke the story uh, probably about 10 different jerseys through the years, whether it was the Ontario Rain jersey, whether it was the 2012 outdoor jersey, the 2014 outdoor jersey. I guess it was 13, 13, 14 outdoor jerseys, uh, the most recent outdoor jersey, all, all sorts of jerseys, the 50th anniversary jersey and so on. So we've broken a lot of jersey stories and it's been getting harder and harder through the years to get more information. And especially as they've moved over and started partnering with Adidas, who seems to be a little bit uh, tighter lipped about things. The league is involved. I do want to say this, though, because regardless of what the jersey looks like, DB, there will always be a faction of fans who are going to hate it. They're just going to, oh, no matter 100%. what, they just, that's just yeah. the way it is. I do want to ruler Jersey. This is a league driven initiative. So if you have hate mail and you need to send it to somewhere, <laughs> please do not send it to the King's front office. I'm, I'm letting you know, they didn't ask me there, you know, to give this public service announcement, but the Kings did not drive this initiative. This is being driven by the league. And there is a league wide initiative for this fourth Jersey this year. Um, you might remember DB back, uh, geez, back at the beginning of the year, I think I had talked about different sleeves that they were doing uh, on some of the, the right. jerseys. Yes. And we've already seen probably, I want to say like 10 different jerseys maybe that have, that have started to leak out. Uh, but, you know, I don't know if this is all going to just sort of be a good thing for the league because they're not doing the outdoor games this year and whatnot. So there's still a way to mix in some specialty jerseys. Uh, it sounds like they're going to wear them or the plan was to wear them at a couple of, of games, maybe two home, two road or somewhere near that number or those numbers. The problem DB is going to be that right now, nobody knows what the schedule is going to be. So that all sounds great on an 82 game schedule. But if you compress it into 50, how do you do that? And when do you do it? And do you try to save it for later in the season when you might maybe have fans in the stands versus the beginning of the year, a lot of question marks, but nonetheless, it sounds like the league is moving forward with the jerseys. So a purple Jersey, I think 
wink, wink is coming your way, everybody. Okay, but what's your opinion of a, from a fan's perspective or just, in, you know, what do you think um, of a purpose? Do you like? I, personally? Yeah, personally. You're not a reporter. You're just I, a, fan, I'm, a I'm okay fan. if you don't have the gold. Like, I'm okay with purple being mixed in. Yeah, I, uh, here's what I think. I think that um, you can't mix the gold in with their current colors, right? So the current right. colors are black, yeah. white, and silver. And they, I think they've done a great job, especially in adding the third jersey in and sort of incorporating, you know, a little bit of extra color there and that silver color. So I like that. And I think if you were to bring purple into that, which sort of, you know, pays tribute to the previous teams, Forum Blue. I know everybody will hit me up on Twitter. It's not purple. It's Forum Blue. I get it. Uh, they've been at Staples Center now for 20 years. Calm down. <laughs> but um, if they mixed some purple in, I, you know, I would be okay with that. I, I, I've said for a long time, I think that my favorite Kings jersey of all time, they have not created yet. They have almost created it, but it would be a black and white with a little bit of like purple piping and it would have the new crown, not the old crown, mm-hmm. which would be um, on the jersey. So, you know, as much black as possible with a little bit of white and, and, and purple sort of striping. They came close to that uh, in the early years of Staples Center as they were toying around with the jersey. They came close, uh, but not 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 completely to, to, to what I would like to see. So Wow, majority black jersey from you. What a shock. You have an opinion, DB? Yeah. I, I'm not shocked <laughs> that, you wanted, that you would say the majority of the jersey should be black. That's... The least you could even do the logo at all black. I'd be fine with it. I know. Just go exactly. black on black. Black on like the uh, Tampa Bay with the black numbers on the black jersey. Yeah, that's great. I'm fine with black on black. My favorite VG stuff is black yes. on my black on black T-shirt, my black yeah. on black hat. The only time, as a matter of fact, people, that I will make an exception to my only blue Dodger hat because I'm not down with the red hats and the yellow no. hats and all that Agreed. nonsense. My only exception to that, I am okay with the black on black. And I know people are going to tell me. You know, the Dodgers don't wear black. That's fine. But I do. So there you go. the black on black, the black on black <laughs> L.A. hat works just fine for me. Uh, DB, you want to get into these polls? The fans yes. have, have oh, weighed yeah. in. They this have their great. opinions. They have weighed in. Okay. Uh, we'll split it up. We'll do three of them in this in this go around for this episode. Uh, poll number one was who will surprise everybody and make the opening night roster? And we gave four options at forward. Sammy Fagamo, Arthur Kaliev, Quentin Byfield, and Rasmus Kapari. Very interesting results, DB. It was much closer than I expected it to be. Um, there's you know, recency bias. That's for Mark Unetti, uh, who, who loves that term, <laughs> um, as he explained in a previous episode. I thought Quentin Byfield would run away with this. Uh, but no, actually, it was Kaliev, 36%. And then we had uh, Byfield was uh, second at 24, but right behind him was Sammy Fagamo at 23. And then Kapari at 15%, which I was surprised that 15% actually picked Kapari because off the top, I would say that Kapari probably has the, the the slimmest chance of those four, not because of talent, but just because of when you're coming back from a knee injury, injury like right. he was, yeah. I think you'd want to break him in a little, you know, slowly, if you will, maybe give him 10 games. If you, I mean, if he had a blow away camp and you loved him, I still think you'd send him to the American league for a couple of weeks and just make sure that everything is okay. in, in, in a regular season game before you mixed him in, um, and he's Kelly not talked I'm, about, John. Go ahead. That's the thing. He's not been talked about, right? I mean, you, you, those four names, who have been talking about for the last year because the guy's been on the sidelines with a knee injury, you haven't talked about yeah. He's almost like a forgotten player at this point. Yeah, for sure. Which, again, for him to get 15% of the vote, I was very surprised by that. Um, and, and then, you know, Byfield, uh, he's just, you know, he's not ready. Uh, I know people are excited and they want to see him, but, I mean, come on, you're talking about a kid who's going to be 18. Um 
to me, it came down to Fagamo and Kaliev. And I just think that Fagamo is a little bit, my own personal opinion, is a little bit more ready and a little bit more likely. Now, in order for that to happen, you're going to have to probably be willing to put uh, either Amadio, mm-hmm. uh, Wagner, Matt Luff, or Grunstrom, or Trevor Moore. Yeah. You're going to have to be willing yeah. to put one of those players um, on waivers. Again, you could send down Jared Anderson Dolan to make it happen. And by the way, before people weigh in and react to any individual player, it is very important that you understand who the 14 roster spots are currently penciled in to be. That's that's very important because people like DB, they like, they hit us up on Twitter like, you know, Kaliev's going to make the opening night roster. And then whenever I reply and I send them, okay, well, here are the 14 people, you know, that are expected. What, what are you going to do with these guys? Oh, well, send this guy down. Well, no, you can't just send Michael Amadio down. If you're going to have Kaliev or Fagamo replace Amadio on the NHL roster, that means Amadio's going on waivers. The right. only players that you can put or that you can send Dolan, uh, you can send Blake Lazat down, but let's be honest, you're not doing it. Um, everybody else, they have to go through waivers. And so I think the odd man out is Trevor Moore. Uh, DB, what do, you, what do you think? I think so. And I voted for Byfield for shits and giggles. But um, okay, well, thank you. <laughs> but um, no, I agree. I, I think that when I look at the Fords and I look how they didn't produce last year, I'd be less concerned mm-hmm. about risking one of them. Especially Amadio. I think Amadio's had a lot of run. I mean, he was the old on the second line last year. Really didn't do much. But I think that, you know, John, your uh, famous two words, asset protection. Like, why do mm-hmm. that when you can protect them all and then maybe use them as a chip somewhere? So I would tend to agree with you. But I agree. More to me, you need Kempe. You need uh, Grunstrom. You want Those are the talent kids. More you got to throw in on, on the trade with Toronto. So, yeah, I, I, to risk Trevor Moore, if one of these players stood up and was really good in training camp, I'd be willing to take that risk. I agree with you. I'm even going to go out on a limb here, DB, and I'm going to say the guy who is least likely to end up on waivers is going to be Carl Grundstrom. If you go back and look at his production point total per game, I know these are all small sample size numbers, but what are, what would anybody be betting on Michael Amadio for at this point, right? You know who Agreed. Michael Amadio is. You've seen him over a couple of years. You're not betting on him. You know what you're getting. He's a known commodity. In Carl Grunstrom, such a small sample size. And if you look at the, and I know again, if you look at the points per game, if you do the math, Grunstrom is the highest of all of the guys that I was just mentioning right there. So he's the guy that you want to see more of. Right. So I think Amadio and Trevor Moore would be the two people that would be on the hot seat if you had to pick two people. And by the way, guys, this all assumes that the regular rules are in place. If the OHL doesn't play, if they have special roster exemptions, if the NHL expands their rosters beyond 23, all of this conversation is sort of not all of it, but some of it is out the window. So that was question number one. Question number two, I was the perhaps the most intrigued with seeing what the answers would be. Um, because of all the, the hate mail that comes out on Twitter and social media, what grade do you give the Kings management this off season? And you had a B C and then the fourth option. Cause you can only have four options. I combined D and F together and believe it or not, DB, uh, the squeaky wheel is the one that's out there trying to get the grease. <laughs> the people that are saying they should have signed, uh, you know, the, uh, this guy, they should have picked up a forward. They needed to, you know, add a scoring punch, whatever. Only 2.9% of the people gave, gave uh, the Kings management, a D or an F. So less than 3%. Everybody else, 97% plus were in the A, B, and C range. So that's good. It means that people are understanding the plan. I will admit, DB, I was shocked. 45% of the people said a letter letter grade of A, and another 41% said B. So you're talking about 85% of the people said A or B. They like what the Kings did, which is basically 
from a free agent from a 2020, right. uh, 19, 2020, 2021 roster perspective, didn't right. do much. Uh, they liked that. And and then I guess you could add the draft in there as well. And they liked the drafting of Byfield. So high marks for LA Kings management. What do you, what do you say in response to that? Well, I wasn't an A or a B. <laughs> really? Yeah, I was a C. Uh, well, look, okay, so- the, the, okay, the draft is a no-brainer. Like, you have to get an A on the draft. You drafted Byfield. He could be the mm-hmm. best player in the draft. Um, mm-hmm. I wanted more. You know, people know that. People, I want to be more aggressive. It, it's fine. Um, and, okay. And, and, so then, and this, then this guy on Twitter that wrote this, DB, this must be your burner account. Because, by the way, he says a bunch of nonsense in his reply. And it all basically conflicts. So the first thing this guy says is, they have virtually the same lineup as last year. Why would we expect a different result? Right. A successful year would be finishing in the 10 to 12 spot in the West. Okay, let me take the second part of that. Go ahead. Why would we expect a different result if everything was the same? Well, but then what you said was that they're going to give you different results than last year because they weren't 10 to 12 last year. So you already contradicted yourself, number one. Number two, the very first statement is extremely misleading, and I'm starting to get irritated by this statement when people are making it because it's a false narrative. They don't have the same lineup as last year. They have the same lineup that they ended the season with, but that is not the same lineup that they played all year with. Gabe Velarde was not part of the team last year. He came on at the very end. Mikey Anderson was not part of the team last year. He came on at the very end. Look at the guys we were just talking about that are going to be worked into the bottom six. Matt Luff was not part of the team last year. Carl Grunstrom was not part of the team last year. Look at the defense. You have Mata now playing with Drew Doughty. You're going to get half a season from Bjornfoot, half a season from Clegg. The defense is going to look very different. Mata, Anderson, Clegg slash Bjornfoot. Right there, the defense looks different. Mm-hmm. Then we talk about the forwards. On the second line, Gabe Velarde and Matt, uh, Matt Furk and Martin Furk, that line is already different. Two of the three people weren't in the NHL playing last year. So, And then you get into the bottom six, and you're going to have some new blood in there. I disagree, everybody. This is not the same lineup from last year, even though it's technically a very similar lineup to the last five or ten games. Totally different. Totally different. Okay, but there's no proven player in that mix, right? Like people penciling Martin Furkin for 20 goals. I'm not. He could get 12. Gabe? I, I, yeah. Gabe? Maybe. Uh, let's play a whole season, not 10 games, right? The left side is still really... Look, if I follow regresses, that left side is brutal, to be honest with you. And that's why, going back to your original point about Grunstrom, that's why you need to find out about that guy. Right, he could be the second line left wing because Moore's not Kempe. You know my feelings on Kempe, so I, I think mm-hmm. when people say same, I think they. When I say same, I say I expect the same production. And John, I'll come. You know what? It doesn't matter because if Drew Doughty's going to play like the, like he did the last two seasons, it ain't, ain't going to matter any of this stuff. We could we could put you know ten different forwards on this team. This guy has to produce, has to be engaged, has to produce more offensively. So you can change it around. But the problem is, Kobe's a year older. Brownie's a year older. Carter's coming off surgery, right? So you want to pencil in Carter for 15 goals on the right wing. And if you do that, are they going to be better offensively? Absolutely. There's too many questions. There's too many unknowns. There's too many unproven players. So I think that's the guy's point. And that would be my point. There's too many ifs and maybes, right? You can't. Fine. All the guys that you pencil in. If you want to say that, I would agree with you. There's a lot of ifs, there's a lot of maybes, there's a lot of promise, there's a lot of hope. But just don't tell me it's the same team as last year because it's not the same team. That's okay. all. That fair point. Fair point. Okay. It, it's just that the, all right. there Question were no but, three. Yeah, no. Oh. Well, there were no additions. <laughs> John, they didn't acquire any forwards. 
Right. They didn't need to. Okay. That wasn't That's the plan. Okay. Well, right. Okay. We could we could <laughs> argue about signing, offering um, Taylor Hall seven million for one year and putting him with Kopitar and Brown, and then if he's if the team is in any good, trade him for a first round pick. So we could argue that point. Uh, you're not getting a first round pick for Taylor Hall at that point. Come on. Taylor Hall's value is decreasing. Go back to the last episode of Boomer. I'm not into that. Okay. Okay. Anyway, moving on. Go to three. We made our points. (laughs) Question three. Question three. We'll we'll wrap this thing up. We'll drag it across the finish line. What is your – here's a good one for you. What is your expected point total for Gabe Velarde next season? Again, this is assuming there's a full 82-game schedule. uh, And there were four options, 60 points or more, 41 to 50 points, 31 to 40 points, and 30 points or less. Now, for those of you that selected 30 points or less, please stop voting. Give me a break, would you? There's 7% of you, and I think you guys are out there just trying to create a uh, create controversy and, and, and you know, I don't know, trolling. either that or get my blood pressure going. Trolling you. Like, really, 30 points or less from Gabe Velarde? Come on now, stop it. You're being ridiculous. Uh, DB, did you vote on that one? Did you pick 30% before I read off the no, other no, answers? No, no, I didn't go to the bottom, though. I didn't go to the bottom. Okay, okay fine. Um, the number one is kind of what I think you would have expected it to be, which is the 41 to 50 points, right? Uh, if you kind of figured, okay, maybe 20 goals, maybe 25 assists, somewhere in that ballpark, that's 45 points. And 54% of the people selected that one. It, it also is the safer pick because you're, you're not right. really putting yourself out there and taking 60 points or more. So 54% of them said some somewhere in the 40s, uh, 26% said somewhere in the 30s, like 31 to 40 points. And then you had 12% who are highly optimistic. And maybe they were going back and looking at like Andre Kopitar's point total from his first season. Right. They said 60 points or more. That was 12% of the uh, population. 60 points or more. Would you vote? Um, I didn't vote, but uh, I, I mean, it's my own poll. I didn't, I didn't want to vote in it. But uh, if I would have selected, I probably, you know, I, I, I would have, it would have been uh, it would have been tough because what I didn't put um, in there is I didn't put fifty to sixty. I noticed mm-hmm. it afterward. Right, right, right. In right. in the way that I did the spread, I didn't have fifty to sixty, and I probably would have gone with that. I probably would have said maybe fifty five points, and that wasn't an option. Sixty or more is very aggressive, and I probably would have felt that I was being too optimistic. And uh, forty one to fifty, I would have yeah, I, you know, that's that's conservative. I'm okay with that, but. Uh, I probably would have said about 55. So there would have been, I would have needed an option that wasn't there. Right. Kopi was 61 points in his, his first season in the national hockey league, 20 goals, 41 assists, 61 points, just throwing it out there as a comparison. I'm not saying that Gabe Velarde is on Jay Kopitar. They're very different players. Just giving you something to, to comp it to. Well, I did vote and I voted um, 31 to 40. But 31, but, but no, no, wait, qualify. Let on me the qualify. second line with Martin Burke. Qualify this. I would sign right now for 20 and 20. That's what I would sign for. I think he's more of a goal scorer than a facilitator, okay. John. So I, I, I think it's also the mix of the points, right? Uh, you know, I, I know you love Furk. I know you love that shot. I want to see it because he's never done it at that level. He's never, mm-hmm. you know, he's scored in the teams okay. for a bad Well, this right was just point total. Yeah, yeah, but th- that's, that's what I would sign for. I think that Kings fans would be happy with 20 and 20. Um, that's what I'll be happy right. because I don't I don't think there's enough talent surrounding him to get to like with Kobe, you mentioned Kobe. I, mm-hmm. If Gabe gets the 41 assists, John, it, they're making the playoffs. I'm sorry. I mean that that because that's a lot of goals from that line. And at this point, if I, Martin Furt gets the 25 goals. There's a good chance yeah. Gabe Velarde's going to have 41 there assists. There you go. So. Okay, there you go. Exactly. We'll see. All right. 
We've tackled the first three questions of the poll. There are uh, four more questions to go. We will have another episode coming up soon, DB. We'll hit those four questions plus another guest and um, a little bit more from you because you won't be uh, you won't be as traveled as you have been of late. So uh, thank you, everybody, for listening and hope you enjoyed the talk with Kevin Westgarth. And uh, DB, we're going to be back soon with another episode. Looking forward to it, Jay. Have a great week, everybody. This week at Macy's, get great deals on fashion and home essentials. Update your wardrobe with 20% off new spring shoes and sneakers. And 20 to 50% off fresh looks for him and her. Plus, transform your space with Lux Hotel Collection Bedding, now 40% off. And Macy's Star Rewards members can earn on every purchase except gift cards, services, and fees. More at Macy's.com slash Star Rewards. Savings off sale and clearance prices. Exclusions apply.